Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Three, twelve, seventy-one, twenty-three thousand. Three numbers from Jesus today. We're doing Jesus' relational math for doing life together. Three, twelve, seventy-one, twenty-three thousand. These are actual numbers from the scriptures from Jesus. You might want to write them down because they might be useful in the lottery, like they're biblical. I don't know. Jesus' math for doing life together. Vince Lombardi, the famous NFL coach, I started the series telling you how he would start every practice of every new season holding up a football and being like, man, this is a football, to start the season. And he had the goal of winning. And so he took his team back to the basics. And so after Easter here at Lake Forest, follow me is our, this is a football. Back to Basics series for those of us who are Christians and those of you who are looking into the Christian faith. What does it mean? To follow Jesus. Because multiple times, he didn't say, uh, like, think about some stuff, write down some stuff, philosophize about some stuff. A bunch of times he said, follow me. And so that's what we want to learn. Again, what does it mean to follow Jesus? As he invites you and me into a relationship with the living God who loves you through knowing the resurrected Savior. What do we want to know out of this series? Simply that follow me is an invitation to discipleship that's more about how we live than just what we know. We we tend to lose that. And and what do we want to do out of this series? Man, I hope that me and and my fellow tribes members of Lake Forest, we adopt a more radical, a a lifestyle of more radical obedience that's Jesus-focused. And in this series, we've been focused a little more, and today especially, I'm going to be less about Jesus teaching and more about Jesus doing. If you remember the old red letter versions of the the Bible, we're going to do the black letter today of what Jesus did. So today is not what would Jesus do. That's a hypothetical. You and I can fill in the blank of anything. What would Jesus do? He would do what I'm doing right now. The better question is what did Jesus do? W-D-J-D. That's an actual easy question. We can actually answer that. What did he do? And so when he says, follow me, we want to follow him into what he did instead of hypotheticals. So what did Jesus do? Today is Jesus' relational math. One of our core values at Lake Forest is journeying like Jesus. uh, uh, I'm sorry, living like Jesus, doing life together with others. So let's follow his way of life. The core relationships necessary to succeed. This is the, the weird title behind the numbers. In the abundant life of following Jesus... Are 3, 12, 71, 23,000. Let's see if you can do that. Ready, Andy? 3, 12, 71, 23,000. Hey, that was pretty good. That was good for early in the, in the sermon. I'm going to talk about three types of core relationships in Jesus' life. And if they were the right core relationships for him, they're the right relationship for you and me to be whole men and women. Not just spiritual, not just a, like one slice of the pie of our life, like our whole life, to be a whole person. So let's see this. Early in Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, this is early on. 
While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And he didn't let anyone follow him except for who? Peter, James, and John. This then, that's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. At the end of his ministry, at the time of his testing and praying with blood, sweat, and tears on the night he was betrayed, Mark 14, later in Mark's gospel, Mark 14, 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Who is they? The 12 disciples. And Jesus said to them, sit here while I pray. He took who along with him? James and John. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Who's the them that he, that he revealed his inner turmoil, that he was overwhelmed? Who did he reveal his struggle to, his temptation that night? Was it to the 12? Was it to the 70? Who was it to? Peter, James, and John. He asked his three closest friends to watch and pray with him. Just like he asked them to go with him to, to heal the, the, the girl who had just died. These are the same three names, Peter, James, and John. Here's what Jesus did to have the first kind of relationship that we each need to succeed as spiritual whole people and followers of Jesus. He had three friends who were closer than everyone else, Peter, James, and John. And so the core relationships necessary to succeed in the abundant life following Jesus. If I was a real preacher, I would simplify that statement. But that's really what I mean. So three tight friends slash mentors. And, and Karen, if you'll keep that on the screen for a minute, for those of you who like to take notes, I know a lot of you do, there are references to these three as his closest friends. Close friends or mentors or mentees whom you seek counsel from, give counsel to, share big moments of life. Jesus modeled this for us. And as your pastor, I want it for you. Peter, James, and John were three of the first four disciples that Jesus called. Peter, James, and John, the only disciples allowed to accompany Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, and he told him to keep it a secret until after he died and rose again. On the mountain where Jesus was transfigured in the presence of Moses and Elijah, no other disciples were invited to witness except Peter, James, and John. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as we just saw, Peter, James, and John were invited to accompany Jesus in prayer. One other observation Peter, James, and John are the only three disciples to have nicknames from Jesus. The Rock and Sons of Thunder applied to the other two. In the middle of his ministry, one of the other main times we see mention of Jesus' special friendship with these three is Mark 9, verse 2. This is the, called the, the moment of transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took who? Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. I wish I could picture that. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. I, 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 I'm tempted to go off on what the meaning of transfiguration is, but I want to hold only on what Jesus did in relationship in today's sermon. Did anyone else see Jesus in his transfigured, true, divine self? No, just Peter, James, and John. Which leads me to this conclusion, which I'll put on screen. Jesus showed his true face to his closest three friends. Who are you true-faced with? This is what having close one to three friends is about. Showing your true face with someone. 
and sharpening each other to look more like the face of Jesus in your life over time. Who are your three? These are like really simple questions this morning. I'm just asking you to think about the numbers today. The first number is three. Who are your one to three? Friendship can happen by chance and circumstance. It often does. But having one to three friends or mentors with whom you are true-faced only happens by intention. Each time, if you noticed in the three passages, if you go back and study it, Jesus invited his three friends, Peter, James, and John, in further. It didn't just happen, oh, who's the two dudes standing here? Who's the three? No, each time it says he said, hey, you're my guys. We've got something extra special. True-faced. Jesus showed his true face to his three friends. You need a friend or two or three who sees your true face. Unlike Jesus, my true face is not perfect. It's not yet fully conformed to the will of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All the more reason I need for a few people in my life to see my true face. You see my best face on Sunday. I'm sorry it's not better. But I have a few friends that I'm seeking to be true-faced with. For those of you who know the New Testament, I think this number three includes Paul having Timothy as a mentee and friend. I think it includes Timothy, if you know the pastoral letters, Timothy having Paul as a mentor and friend. They were one of the three for each other. I think it includes Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts, going out on mission and work as peers, friends, co-laborers. That's what Jesus did it's not a teaching. Do you notice this? It's what he did. And so that's what Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy did. It's in black and white for us in the Gospels for, from Jesus. It's in black and white in the book of Acts for the apostles. And now it's to be written in black and white in what you and I do in our life, not just what we say. The relationships we need to succeed at following Jesus, at being whole, healthy people, living the abundant life, one to three peers or mentors with whom you are true-faced. Now, <laughs> here's something I know. The doodly-dude radar is going off in some of us in this room right now. I didn't say, I want you to hear what I'm not saying. I didn't say that Jesus got with his three and then he was like, I love you, man. No, I love you, man. Right. That's not what I said. They intentionally invited one another to extra time together, including being true-faced about the real state of their life. This part of the lifestyle of, of, of Jesus was modeled to me by my father at a young age. So I thought it was normal. He had a mentor every now and then, I noticed growing up, that he met with to gain wise counsel about his work as a follower of Jesus, about marriage, parenting, life decisions. I'm thankful he had a mentor because he and my mom had some tough times. And I'm thankful he had someone he was true-faced with to, to, to go the distance. He had a peer-close brother he regularly did stuff with. Not brother-brother, Christian brother. They played tennis. They talked about faith. And I observed this as his son. And there was always a younger man or two that he was a mentor to. He would go running with. Dad was a runner or played tennis with. But specifically encouraged their faith, usually over breakfast and coffee. So I thought this was normal. And it is. It's the normative pattern for followers of Jesus who do what Jesus did in relationship math. So I thought it was normal. So in college, I, I just duplicated that. I grabbed my three. I started going to this church, and I asked the pastor of it to mentor me. He didn't know me from anybody. He's like, what's your name again? Uh, from anybody. But he said, okay. 
he remains a friend to this day. My sophomore year, I picked out a freshman guy who I thought had leadership promise to spend mentoring time with. You know, because I was a sophomore and I was so much more mature than the freshman. I mean, duh. Uh, uh, and so the guy that, that we were in a mentoring relationship all through colleges, uh, his name is Jonathan from Boston. He had a dog named Fenway. <laughs> Jonathan was in my wedding. Uh, I, I, uh, those years I formed a, a best friend who we were intentional, not because we just liked each other. We were like really different. He was accounting. I was history. Uh, and, and all our other personality stuff was different from that. Uh, and, and we formed a close friendship meeting to pray together about our lives and our discipleship. And uh, I invited him into the mentoring, or, or we together asked that pastor to mentor us. And I'm still friends. He's one of my three today. His name is Bobby, 35 years later. And so I look back over my history, and up to today, I've had incredible mentors in my life. But I had to ask. Leighton Ford, Phil Anderson, Craig Strickland, Ken Schultz, Bill Warwick, many others. I, I mentioned my dad, who's a mentor to me. But, but we ask. Uh, Jesus' math for the relationships you and I need to succeed in life starts with three. Gosh, Pastor Mike, I sometimes hear this. I just don't know why I'm not growing in my faith closer to Jesus, more like Jesus. I don't know why I don't just naturally understand how faith in Jesus applies to my work, to my singleness, to my marriage or my parenting. Man, I'm just not experiencing God's blessings or joy. Isn't it supposed, isn't it supposed to fall on me? This is where the number three is bigger than Dale Earnhardt <laughs> on racing weekend. The, the number three is a crucial part of the math of God's blessings in your life. And the younger you are, the more important it is to f form this habit now. Everybody wants to change and grow. Dudes, ladies, do you know what social psychology and the Bible agree has the most power for change in our life? Your closest peer relationships. You are becoming like your three. The Proverbs is full of that. We teach our children that. Or if you don't have one to three people with whom you are true-faced following Jesus... That means you're likely becoming more like the primary media you consume or the stuff you fetishize about. So who are your one to three tight friends, mentors, mentees? Who? Stop and ask yourself the question. Don't, not out loud like self. Who am I one to three? Who's one that I can take initiative with this week? Just and take the risk to be a bit more true-faced. So Jesus had the number three. Can you say three? three? Three. We are learning the Bible today. This is the true biblical numerology. There's none of that mystical stuff. Three close friends. But Jesus' relationship math is 3, 12, 71, 23,000. Let's try that one more time. 3, 12, 71, 23,000. I think I've just about memorized it myself. Next, the number 12. Mark 3, verse 13. Check this out. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Do you notice the intentionality? Was Jesus like, hey, man, who just happens to be hanging around? Who's like the easiest to be with who reinforces my junk? He actually chose, and he selects not only the three, but the twelve. You have to select into friendship. You have to select into peer groups, mentoring. You have to select into a fellowship group that studies scriptures, cares for one another together. Verse 14, he appointed 12. There's our next number. I didn't just make it up. 
that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Notice who the first three are listed. Peter, James, John. And then it goes on to list those other guys. So core relationships necessary to succeed in the abundant life of following Jesus are 12, three in tight friends and mentors, 12 in a Jesus-centered small group. Now, I don't need to build this case for you. Just about everybody in the room, even if you've almost never read the Bible, you're familiar that Jesus chose 12 friends to be his small group of friends who would be the, the tight number. And here's what we see throughout the Gospels. You'll know this if you read them. They ate together. They did bonfires together. I can give you that reference. They boated on the lake together. Bunch of y'all doing that this weekend. They questioned each other. They learned personal conflict with each other. They exhorted each other when somebody was out of line. They're like, Peter, that was stupid, man. Why don't you tighten that up? And, and, and they, they all shared an allegiance to follow Jesus. In college, I was mentored by two of my three. Remember the three? Two of those three mentored me to practice this way of Jesus, the 12, a Jesus-centered community that you know you belong to, you're committed to, and you have regularity with them. Uh, I practiced that in my university days through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, was in a small group the whole time. After college, when Angie and I were in our 20s, we practiced it by gathering a group of friends we just knew. We all went to different churches, and, and we would gather biweekly in somebody's house and study Scripture together and pass around the leadership of it. Uh, when I became an assistant pastor in Memphis, uh, we joined a community group in that church, and those became our closest friends. And, and it was in that Memphis community group, as well as the one here at Lake Forest, Angie and I learned what does it mean to be the body of Christ with one another? Um, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens deeply? I will never forget the day when I was 29 years old, and our whole community group there in Memphis, we stood around the hospital bed. We prayed and held hands as our friend turned off life support for her husband as he died of cancer at the age of 30 there in that room. We shared that burden of doing life together and pointed one another to Christ through our tears. Just like those 12 with Jesus shared the burden with Jesus and his ministry. And so now, when our friend Mary in Memphis had to make the decision to turn off life support or not for her husband, and she needed the people of God to be with her, that was not the time to go, hey, you know what? I need a group of three or 12 in my life. Put on hold the decision about life support. Let me go build some Christian communities, some three and some 12, who share burdens and we've done so much life together. We know each other and I trust them and they'll pray for me and hold me up even when I can't pray. I don't know. Mary and her husband had built that into their life years before. And therefore, it naturally, organically came to bear. That's why the image of the church in Corinthians is the body of Christ. When one part of the body itches, Another part scratches it. But if you're not part of it, it can't scratch that itch. And I won't take that metaphor any further. <laughs> Cultivate a small group of 12 now in everyday life, and then that is the body of Christ for you in your time of need. Now, let me jump out of this for a second. Let me, let me keep on the 3 and the 12 before we get to the 71, 23,000. 
You're like, what? Well, let's stay on the 3 and 12. The 3 and 12 are, 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 are that Jesus exemplifies for us and is his will for my life and yours are an example of what today we call, many people call spiritual friendship. So let me give it that category for a minute. And, and there are people who've written a lot about this, and uh, uh, some of the best writing defines it this way. Spiritual friendship is friendship rooted in Christ for the purpose of growing in Christ. The basis of spiritual friendship is a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. The purpose of spiritual friendship is a common commitment to help one another grow in Christ's likeness. Let's keep that up on the screen for just a minute, if you will. What distinguishes spiritual friendship from other relationships is the friends are centered in following Jesus. They seek Jesus. They seek to live according to Jesus. That's their primary narrative in life. And through their friendship, they want to help one another live a holy life, always on mission for Jesus. As Paul Waddell writes, spiritual friends want each other to be resplendent in goodness. Spiritual friends want each other to be resplendent in goodness. Who's your three? Who's your 12 who are committed to that in your life so you're not all by yourself? What are the elements of spiritual friendship? Here's some more Bible stuff. The one another's in the New Testament. Did you know the New Testament is filled with what spiritual friendship is to consist of in the three and the twelve? Not what, it's not filled with what does a pastor do for the people. It's filled with who the people of God are for one another, especially in the three and the twelve. This is normative for Christians. And if you're not yet a Christian, hey, come find spiritual friendship with, with us. We invite you to belong even before you believe. So let me download a little Bible knowledge. There are 59 one another's in the New Testament. 59 one another's. And one author breaks them down in some categories. You'll you'll be really familiar. I'm going to fly through this because it's more about the aggregate than any specific. About one-third of the one another commands to the church deals with unity. Like be at peace with one another. Don't grumble. Just click on through those. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour. Don't boastfully challenge or envy. Gently tolerate. Be kind. Bear with. Seek good. Don't complain. Confess sins to one another. So a third of the one another's are about unity. You see how that works in friendship. Another third of the one another's uh, deals with uh, love. How Christians are to love one another. Uh, so there's love one another, tolerate, serve one another, greet one another with a kiss. Should I stop and go neighbor, oh neighbor? And we can't, no, no. Um, be devoted to one another in love. Another 15% of the one another's to the church in, as spiritual friends is humility and deference among believers. For instance, give preference to one another. Regard the other as more important than yourself. Do you have a friend, a three or a 12 group like that? Serve one another, wash their feet, don't be haughty, be subject to them, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. I want friendships in which this is mutual. See, married people, your marriage was not designed to bear all the weight of all these things you need from other people. That is an improper, it grew up in the Victorian era of Western civilization that the marriage and the nuclear family are, are the end all be all. No, 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 the one another's in the New Testament is the only way your marriage can stand the weight of all the friendship we need. And here's the rest of them, of the one another's. Don't judge one another, greet 
There's that kissing thing again. Uh, bear one another's burdens. Speak to one another. Don't lie. Comfort. Encourage. Stimulate. Pray. Be hospitable. These are summaries of the one another's in the New Testament. See, the church has gotten into an unbiblical mental mind map of church and spiritual growth. This mental mind map peaked in the Middle Ages, and it sneaks up on you and me today. It, and here's what it is. You know what? Really? I don't need 312 and that other weird number Mike keeps saying. I just need a relationship with a priest or a pastor. They will teach me, exhort me, comfort me, visit me, encourage me, serve me. That's really... Do you hear that? Like, all, that, the, that, is, that is what the Western church slipped into. But we just read all those one another's. I just bored you to tears on purpose so you could go, that ain't biblical. And in fact, it's perpetuated by pastors and priests like me who codependently want to be needed by everyone to do everything. But the New Testament says it different. All those one another's, I couldn't do those well for our original 42 people we founded the church with. I was sorry and not good at that. Let alone the up to 3,000 in the Lake Forest Family Churches today. So that, that's a sick and wrong view of church. Instead, as the three, as the twelve. Love, pray for, encourage, bear burdens of one another. Would you say one another with me? One another. It's one of the most common phrases in the New Testament about the church. Let's say it one more time. One another. Well done. Back there. Okay, it's time to finish. We did the three, we did the 12. Now it's time for the 71, 23,000. Core relationships necessary to succeed in the abundant life following Jesus. Three tight friends and mentors. Twelve in a Jesus-centered small group. 71, 23,000 worshiping together weekly as the church. And there's the three references for it. If you'll keep that on screen for a minute, Karen. Seventy is the number in, in Luke chapter 9 and elsewhere of the larger circle of disciples mentioned a few times in the Gospels that gathered. 120 is the number of disciples in the upper room in Acts 115. On the morning, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. 3,000 is the number given in Acts 2.41 for the whole church in Jerusalem the day after Pentecost. So it doesn't matter, friends, if you worship in a church of 70 every Sunday, a church of 120, or uh, like our family of churches, you know, like several thousand. At Lake Forest, that's on a really good weekend, and all of our family of churches, not Memorial Weekend. Uh, but notice that the number is clearly elastic, and the Bible doesn't prefer one over the other. So we don't argue about big church, small church. We let Jesus decide. We've never had a target here at Lake Forest since the day we started, by the way. Uh, we just let God figure that out and keep making room for one more if he keeps sending one more. But the point of 71,23,000, will you say that with me? 71,23,000. Come on. 71,23,000. One more time. 71,23,000. The point of it is worship weekly in a gathering as the church every seven days, like Allah, the Ten Commandments. Jesus, we're told, gathered, quote, it says in the Gospels, as was his habit, weekly in the synagogue to worship with God's people. And then his followers did the same ever since, since the, the resurrection. So to follow Jesus by doing what Jesus did is to gather every seven days to respond to God's love for us in worship. So this is the antidote for us to another thing in our culture today, which is, bad. 
I'm spiritual, but not religious. And you know what? A lot of days I feel like that. I want to own, and I can own that statement, actually, if you have a negative definition of what religious is. But if what we mean by that is, man, I'm a Christian, but I don't do church. I don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian. That's true. You don't have to be, go to a church to have faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus. But you do have to gather regularly, weekly with other Christians as the church if you're a Christian who follows Jesus and what Jesus actually did instead of a hypothetical, what we think he would do. And so, otherwise we're following some other story that's not the true story of Jesus and his peeps. So this relational number of 71, 23,000 is all about the larger identity group. What's your primary identity and allegiance? Belonging to the body of Christ as our first and foremost association. It, it, it goes ahead of being a Panthers, Clemson, Tar Heel, Patriots, Steelers, whatever fan. It goes ahead of being a golfer or a hiker. It goes ahead of being a fur baby parent. It goes ahead of being a parent of a, of a baby baby. Uh, it goes ahead of, of being a conservative or a progressive the book of Hebrews says to believers whose tendency even then was to be, man, I'm spiritual, not religious, I don't need these other people. They, they, they get on my nerves. It's kind of a hassle. And the writer to the Hebrews said, hey, don't give up meeting together because it encourages you to do so. Okay, just for a second. Let's talk about the doodly dude radar for a minute more because it's a thing. Men from teenagers up to retirees the fact that the American male has, on average, less than one friend. Surveys are really clear and unanimous on this. The average American male, when asked, how many people do you call friend or close friend? The answer is less than one. So I don't think about who your .75 friend is right now. I don't, uh, I, but, but that's actually a statistic. Um, that means that following Jesus into the three and the 12 relationships doesn't feel natural and doesn't even feel doable to many of us men, especially the three and the 12. It feels to some of you men that, that uh, it may be many of you, you know what, God just didn't give me the genetic makeup or the personality to, to need these relationships. That's for other dudes like Mike Moses, who's not even embarrassed to cry in public once a week. <laughs> you, we think it doesn't apply to us because we don't feel a need for it. But that is not true. According to the life of Jesus, and I want to tell you it's cultural and family conditioning over generations that has created that aspect of American masculinity. There's some cool stuff in American masculinity, but not this. Here's how we know this. How many of you had to read Beowulf in, in English class, like in middle school or high school? I'm like, man, some old English stuff. It's probably going to be like Shakespeare. And then you start reading it like, this is cool. Bunch of guys with weapons, feasting and drinking and chasing monsters. It was pretty cool. Beowulf. It's a tale of Anglo-Saxon early medieval warrior culture. You can go home and reread it. And the numbers 3 and 12 friends make sense in the Beowulf world and culture. Those are my buddies in arms. In fact, we have sleepovers together in the banquet hall apart from our family quite frequently. And, and there's a lot of emotional connection and talking about real stuff. In fact, this is the type of, of masculinity, this side of masculinity that's actually Tolkien uh, took up and is the model in, in his world for The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and such. 
uh, including close male-to-male friendship of the three and the twelve. Another example, uh, I spent a summer in Kenya, East Africa, and I don't know, Percy, about where where you live, but I got off the bus. I, I flown on this plane, got off a bus in this little tiny town, like a nothing town, one bus stop in the west of Kenya. And there was a pastor I was going to live with, a Kenyan pastor. And he greeted me at the bus, uh, picked up my suitcase in one hand, and with his other hand, held my hand as we walked down Main Street uh, in Marsabit, Kenya. I was freaking out. Dude is holding my hand in public. You know what? Over the whole summer, I got a little more comfortable with with male friendship intimacy that includes even physical contact. It was good for me. But those are two examples. Beowulf and my pastor friend in Kenya holding my hand. (laughs) That's one of two examples of why American male feelings that we don't need, nor can we handle the three of the 12. Those feelings are not innate. They're a lie that's culturally conditioned. Let's let Jesus' way of life transform us relationally. So, what do I do with this here on Memorial Day weekend? Number one, here's what to do. If you're already a Christian, to follow Jesus, which number is most important for you to add to your life over this summer? Three or 12 or 71, 23,000? Who is God maybe calling you to take initiative with as one of your needed three? And by the way, you don't start off completely true-faced. You sort of hang out. How will you plan to be part of a 12? In a community group, a men's and women's group, something you organize on your own, remix or other group. Maybe you pre-plan for the fall of being in a group of 12 and, and committing to that when it's inconvenient. And Christians, will you recommit to worshiping weekly with your church? If this is your church, awesome, but there are plenty of good ones around. What do I do with this if I'm not yet a Christian? Pastor Mike, well, here's my suggestion for you. What follower of Jesus will you invite as one of your three to mentor you in how they discovered faith? Like, you're here. There's a reason you're here. If you're like, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm all in on the Jesus thing. There's a reason you're here. and You want to be a spiritual person, and I applaud that. Take initiative the way Jesus did. Pick one person. And say, how did you discover faith and pursue that question with them? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that your son Jesus ultimately defined friendship this way. True love is this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, here on Memorial Day weekend, we thank you for family members and many family trees here in this room who laid down their life as a friend to our country in military service. We thank you for them. And Jesus, we thank you that you didn't talk about this. You didn't just teach it like so many religious teachers who teach, teach, teach. You did it. And thank you that as the God-man, you gave up your perfect life. You laid it down for us on the cross for your friends, dying a substitutionary, atoning death to forgive our sins. And thank you that you rose again in victory over death, suffering, and shame. Jesus, we now receive again your invitation to call you friend. Some of us are ready right this second to put our faith in you for the first time by saying, yes, Jesus. And the rest of us, we say to you, those of us who are Christians, Jesus, I will follow you into a life of relationships divine by three, 12, 
71, 23,000. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you guys stand and let's dismiss each other. We're going to do it as a one another. If you'd like prayer for any reason, out the door and the right is the well. And can we thank our friend Percy for joining us today. Okay, let's dismiss each other the way we've done in this series with what's called the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise.